Welcome to the Plymouth Meeting Church Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope the following message touches your hearts and minds. Exodus chapter 6, 6 to 8. Say to the Israelites, I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. And I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with an uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. God's word. So it's good to be back with all of you this morning. It's good to see all of you. We were down in Georgia on a family vacation, and I'll, I'll just share with you. You know what? You know we're we're definitely grateful for the the trip. Um, but one thing to report is, I lost my wedding band in the ocean. Yeah, um, actually, um, today's the twentieth. So on the eighteenth was our twelfth engagement anniversary. So. Um, yeah, this coming May, we'll, we'll be celebrating 12 years of, of marriage. But, you know, that thing has been uh, with me for a lot of mileage. If you, if you think, like, through job interviews and uh, other trips, uh, you know, working out, going on runs, washing dishes, like, like, that ring's been with me for a long time. And I know some of you share this experience of losing some jewelry, a wedding band, you know, uh, something valuable valuable of mine has been lost. Something that meant so much to me has has been lost. Um, What would it take to get it back? A metal detector? Drain the ocean dry? Dredge the beach, right? What would it cost to, quote, redeem it? What would it take to make things right? Well, You know, certainly a decision would have to be made. A a judgment call would have to be made. That would certainly interrupt the beach. The water and the sand would need to be interrogated and searched, right? You know, if, if I were to find the ring, the redemption on my ring would certainly come at a cost. So here's the truth. Deliverance and redemption, it comes with a price. You know, as, as we read and we meditate on the Bible, we, we read these, these stories, and, and uh, perhaps from one angle, it's a story of redemption, and we love hearing these stories. But perhaps from a different angle, same story, different angle, it's a story about judgment. It's, it's, it's a story about justice. We love redemption stories, and also, we need stories of judgment, too. Church, we need to listen to the prophecies, the warnings, the rebukes, the laments. We, we need to hear the stories about hard hearts, spiritual blindness. We need to listen to that stuff because it's through the stories of redeeming grace and transformative mercy, stories of justice and judgment, 
These stories and experiences, they help us to know God. We want to know who God is. We want to know God's character. We want to know what he is up to. And I'm convinced that the better that we know God, the better we know ourselves. And part of the way that we know and preserve the identity of who our God is, is by telling the stories of who he is and what he does. So all of that is just a little introduction to start stirring up our thoughts as we get back into our Moses series. Today we are looking at the Egyptian plague stories. The ten times Yahweh will bring a strike against Egypt, against this evil regime of bondage and death. Ten strikes. Told from the perspective of Israel, it's a deliverance story. The oppressors, it's a judgment story. And so today, we're going to just walk through the story. We're going to tell the story, and then we're going to have some reflections on it at the end. So let's begin. Yahweh is the one true God. Yahweh is God alone. He is God over all the earth. And over all the tribes and nations, God has picked out one family. He elected, he, elected, he chose a covenant family, the Israelites. And where we find them is in Egyptian Slavery, oppression. And so in our story, in, in the book of Exodus here today, in our story, Yahweh is on mission to redeem his covenant partners with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. And so beginning in um, Exodus chapter 6, we're going to be covering a couple chapters here today. I'm going to be summarizing a lot of it. Exodus chapter 6, Moses and Yahweh, they are having a conversation and Yahweh clarifies to Moses that he is Yahweh, the one who is, the one who is Yahweh. Yahweh reminds Moses that he's in covenant with Moses' family. And Yahweh reveals that he's heard the groans of the people. He is completely aware of how messed up the situation is. And so Yahweh, in this conversation, he tells Moses, hey, this is what I want you to tell to the people. And actually what we received there, we, we read it moments ago, this is kind of like Yahweh's mission statement. He's going to break the yoke of slavery. He's going to bring freedom. He's going to break off those, those handcuffs there. Redemption is coming with an outstretched arm with, with great acts of, of judgment. Yahweh is going to take the people into himself. They will be his people and he will be his God. Yahweh is going to bring them to a promised land. And they will know that Yahweh is God. So we need to pause here for a, a big point. We don't want to miss it. One of the main objectives here in God's mission is that Israel and Egypt and eventually all the nations, that they will know who God is. God wants to be known. We don't want to miss this. The mission of God to be known that is what drives the narrative. Certainly, the liberation of the people, that's a big part of the story. But it, it, it's, it's all over the text here. You, you'll see it as you kind of look through the text so that they will know that I am God. That I am God of the earth. That they will know that I am God. God wants to be known. And it's not just an intellectual knowledge. This is like relational knowledge. It's, it's, it's intimacy. And so whether we look at the story from the lens of God's grace, 
for his people or, or God's judgment on Egypt, people will know about God, his character, his, his power, his authority, his, his sovereignty, his justice, his redeeming grace. And by the way, this mission of God being known to the whole nations it still remains today through the great commission of Jesus Christ. And so then we get through uh, chapter 7. There's a big genealogy in there. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm not going to talk about that right now. It's very interesting. But we're going to get to chapter 7. In obedience, we find these two octogenarian brothers, Moses and Aaron. They're God's like liberators here. Moses first, and then Aaron is there to help and they go before Pharaoh. This is actually their second second time, second visit with Pharaoh. And they perform this miracle. It's Aaron's staff, actually. They throw down on the floor, and it becomes a snake. And the Egyptian magicians, sorcerers there, you know, somehow they were able to do the th- same thing. We don't know if this is an imitation, trickery, sleight of hand. Is this satanic? Power, we don't know. That's actually not the point of the story. What we see here is that Aaron's staff swallows up their staffs. And in this amazing scene, Pharaoh's heart is hard and he is not listening. He refuses to listen. Now, there's no mention of Moses and Aaron feeling defeated. The narrative rolls on. And so now it's time. Excuse me. Now it's time for Yahweh to really confront the kingdom of Pharaoh. God is fighting for his people. 400 years about of, of, of slavery, God is now fighting for his people. And that, as we get into it, we'll see 10 times Yahweh is going to strike Pharaoh's kingdom. A categorically corrupt, rebellious, and wicked representation of what it means to rule. Now, kind of just looking at the text from a bird's eye view, we actually find that there is literary structure in the story. There's actually three cycles of three, three triads. And then there's a 10th plague that is like set apart. And so each cycle, it actually begins. You you can see it in the text. Each cycle begins with Yahweh telling Moses to go to Pharaoh in the early morning. In each cycle, again, there's pattern. In each cycle, the first two plagues come with a warning. And then the third plague in that cycle, it just happens. And so Yahweh, who alone is God, the creator, the owner, the judge of the earth, he is going to dismantle Pharaoh's kingdom that is such a small and twisted imitation of the creators. So let's get into it. The first cycle. In the early morning... Moses goes to Pharaoh. The first plague is the Nile River is changed into blood. Recall your geography. I hope you know Egypt, like a desert country, except there's this massive river there called the Nile. It is such a life source for Egypt there. It's what makes life possible in Egypt. And it's turned into blood. And this causes all the fish in the river to die. And that is going to smell really bad. A bloody, dead, fishy stench throughout the whole land. The Nile River is turned into blood. Perhaps this is a callback to when the babies were thrown into the river. If you recall the baby Moses story. 
water even in, in buckets, kept in wood and stone vessels, that became blood too, except there must have been some water that, that God set aside uh, because Pharaoh's magicians were able to get a hold of some clean water. And somehow, again, we don't know how, but somehow they turned it into blood. And Pharaoh is completely unaffected. The second plague is frogs from all the streams and canals and ponds and stuff. They, they, they come up on the land. Frogs are amphibious uh, creatures. They're not bound by wet or dry. They're able to do both. And so they make a great creature in terms of like an animal that will just completely ignore uh, typical boundaries. You know, like, like they're able to go anywhere. And so these frogs, they come up and they invade the whole kingdom. They are absolutely everywhere. Again, Pharaoh's magicians somehow were able to imitate this. They made more frogs come up from the Nile River, although why would you want that? And so Pharaoh, he, he, he goes to Moses or he, he asks Moses to stop and, and Yahweh obliges. And what's left are heaps and heaps and heaps of dead frogs everywhere. The land reeked of dead frog air. And so Pharaoh saw that there's relief, and he hardened his heart. Have we been there before? We're crying out to God. We get a little bit of relief, and then it's back to business as usual. The third plague, Moses and Aaron uh, are there. Uh, Moses tells Aaron to take his staff and strike the dust, and throughout the land, the dust becomes gnats, some sort of biting insect. It could be lice, mosquitoes, biting, biting flies, something like that, gnats. And so this time the magicians, they're like, no, nah, we're out. We can't do this. Our secret arts, we, we, we didn't learn this one in magician school. Like, we, we, we're out. And so they, they, they tell Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Okay, they're, they're starting to see it. They, they see this. This is the finger of God. But Pharaoh, he doesn't listen. His heart is hard. So that's the first cycle. Three opportunities to get the message and to be like, okay, Yahweh, you're in control. You're powerful. You want your people. Here's your people. Let the people go. Three opportunities. Exodus chapter 8, 20 is the beginning of the second cycle. In the early morning, Moses goes to Pharaoh. The fourth plague is a swarm of flies. Swarms covering everything. All right. You all know one fly in the house is enough, <laughs> right? Little, little buzzy guy, you know, makes you anxious, makes you, you, you kind of like lose your mind a little bit. Sometimes like one little fly is enough. This is swarms and swarms of flies everywhere, all over the yard, all over the, the trees, flies everywhere, except we find out that in the district of Goshen, where the Israelites live, no swarms of flies are there. So there's a clear distinction. Egyptian territory, bunch of flies. Israelite land, it's nice and clean and beautiful. No flies. So yeah, swarms and swarms of flies pouring in everywhere. And Pharaoh, he actually considers letting the people go. And then he actually asks Moses, hey, will you pray for me? You hear that? This evil dude... You know, representative of, uh, like, here's just wicked, a wicked kingdom, a wicked ruler. He's asking Moses, 
to pray for him, but ultimately his heart is hard and he doesn't let the people go. The fifth plague. A plague comes about on the Egyptian livestock, horses, donkeys, camels, cattle, sheep, goats. So many animals got sick and died. Again, more more death, more devastation here. Losing that much livestock in any economy, modern or, or ancient, like, like that is a huge blow. Okay, Pharaoh's heart, he unmoved. He is unmoved. The sixth plague, Moses takes soot from the furnace and he stands before Pharaoh. And by the way, it doesn't tell us how he has access to Pharaoh. We can fill in the blank. He stands before Pharaoh. He takes soot and he tosses it in the air. And it becomes festering boils. And it breaks out on the rest of the the living animals. It breaks out on all of the people. According to Mayo Clinic, a boil is a painful, pus-filled bump that forms under your skin. A cluster of boils is called a carbuncle. Did you guys know that? It looks really gross. Don't look it up. Zero out of ten recommended. Okay? They're covered in boils. Pharaoh refuses to listen. So now that's six opportunities to get the point. Cycle three begins. Exodus chapter nine, verse 13. In the early morning, go to Pharaoh and confront him. Pharaoh's, uh, Yahweh says, and so we have the seventh plague. And it's the worst storm ever. The worst hailstorm ever. Moses gives Pharaoh a warning. He says, hey, if something needs shelter, you better get it shelter. Like, if if, if a thing or a person needs to be protected, like, hail is coming. And so Yahweh sends this massive storm, thunder and hail, lightning flashing down to the ground. The hail struck everything, people, animals, fields. It just strips everything bare. The only place where it didn't storm was Goshen. The Israelites live. And so hail, it rips your property apart. It can cause so much damage. I read that State Farm Insurance Company paid out over uh, or over or around $3.5 billion in hail claims last year in 2022. And that's just one insurance company. Like hail is still a big deal. Apparently Colorado gets a lot of hail. I did not know that. Now, interestingly, uh, it is the hail that seems to finally pull on Pharaoh's heart. Something significant is happening here. And he says to Moses and Aaron, chapter 9, verse 27. Okay, this time I have sinned. Yahweh is right. And I and my people are in the wrong. Pray to Yahweh, for we've had enough thunder and hail. I'll let you go. You don't have to stay here any longer. The storm wraps up. You guys can probably guess. Pharaoh, he hardened his heart. He sees relief. Ah, the storm's over. Hard heart does not let the people go. Oh, Pharaoh, what are we going to do with you? Come on. Eighth plague. What comes next? It's locusts. Locusts, they come and they invade the whole country in great numbers. Everything is just covered, and I just imagine it looked black. You know, whatever color locusts are. I just imagine, I don't know. It's just just covered in 
locusts. And they, anything that is left, okay, anything that the flies and, and the hail didn't you know, destroy, the locusts are there and they are just eating it gone. It, they, they finish it off. And so I imagine, why don't we just go, like, look at our nice green wall over here. It's green. We see some flowers. We got some red tomatoes over there in our garden. But just imagine all that being stripped away, and it's just gray, and it's dirty and muddy. It's like everything is just completely stripped down. Pharaoh's officials, they they try to get Pharaoh to, to change his mind, but ultimately he refuses. And then we get to the ninth plague. It's darkness. And the Bible describes this, chapter 10, verse 21, as a darkness that can be felt. A darkness that can be felt Going back to the creation account, Yahweh's first act of creation was let there be light. And so with the ninth plague, creation is sent back into darkness. It's the darkness that sends a chill down your spine. Maybe you've been in a cave before, a cave tour, and then they turn off all the lights and you experience cave darkness. Maybe it's in the middle of the the night, you get up in your house, something's wrong, there's no light at all. At our old church, there's like an inner hallway that had no windows, and one time I tried to get through the church when it was dark, and it's a pointless story, but you know what I'm talking about, like, (laughs) I like... Found my, I'm trying to get through a dark church building, and it was just like, wait, something is wrong. I actually ended up in the wrong room before I found a, a, a light. But anyways, it's a darkness that can, uh, that can be felt. And Pharaoh, he considers releasing the people, but his heart is hard. He changes his mind. Nope. So we have nine plagues, three cycles of three, perhaps of what we could call also as like, Nine acts of decreation. The whole entire Egyptian economy and ecology is being sent back into chaos. Water is no longer water. Disease of people and animals, frogs and lots of bugs and environmental destruction. And there's darkness. Creation is undoing. And other scholars and preachers and whatnot, they they take this... You know, this angle here, we could spend time talking about how each plague was Yahweh's confrontation with Egyptian religion. They had so many different gods. There was a god of the Nile and flies and et cetera, et cetera. You know, you know for example, the, 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 in the pantheon of, of gods, one of the primary gods of Egypt, his name is Ra, the sun god. Well, Yahweh has really darkened out this imposter god. With darkness comes hopelessness. So nine plagues, nine acts of judgment against human rebellion and pride. And now we turn to Pharaoh himself. He's considered to be a god in the flesh. His name is not given, but if it is Ramesses, Ramesses means son of Ra. And so, you know, recall back in Exodus chapter 5, verse 2, when Moses first confronted Pharaoh. Pharaoh's like, who is Yahweh? I don't know this Yahweh. I'm not going to let the people go. I don't know this God. I don't want to know this God. I have my own gods. I am a God. Who is 
Yahweh. And so there's been nine acts of disaster to convince Pharaoh to listen to Yahweh. Then we get to the tenth plague, which claims the life of Pharaoh's son and every Egyptian household. Yahweh sends the destroyer to take life. And this loops us back to the Moses story when a previous Pharaoh ordered all the baby boys to be murdered. And now it's been rebounded in our narrative as a judgment right back into the Egyptians' face. Israel has a different outcome. The God who is bound in covenant to these people, he provides protection and and provision for them. And Lord willing, we're going to take a look at that next week. The Passover story, the Exodus. We'll chew on that next week, Lord willing. But for, for now, as we close out the narrative, it goes like this. It happened at midnight. It didn't matter if you were in the palace or in the prison. It didn't matter if you were human or livestock. The firstborn's life was taken. Pharaoh and all his officials and all the Egyptians, they got up during the night. And there was a loud wailing wailing in Egypt for there was not a house without someone dead. So that's our, our story today. Now turning towards a time of reflection and application, I I would like to invite you, as you just heard the story here, I would invite you to use the plague stories today as a tool for your own reflection. And again, if it is true that the better that we know, the better we know God, the better we know ourselves, if somehow there's There's a mystery in that, that the closer we fall in love with our God and our creator and we know who he is and what he's like and and what he does, then, then we know who we are and what we're supposed to be doing and we know our purpose, all of that good stuff. The better we know God, the better we know ourselves. First, let's start with God. Who is God in these stories? What can we know about God's character? Well, what's true of God is that he is God alone. Yahweh doesn't want to put up with fake imposter gods. God is God alone, period. And God has his purposes. God has a mission. He is redeeming the whole world, starting with Israel and then eventually to all the nations. Israel is to be a light to the whole nations. God is judge. He will counter evil. And justice. God is powerful. He uses power over cre- his power over creation to dismantle Pharaoh's kingdom. God is patient. There are so many opportunities for listening, for turning around, for repentance. God wants to be known. The living God. The, the one who is true. The one who is right. The one who is loved, the one who is worthy of worship. God wants to be with people. They will know that I'm their God. They're going to be my people, and I will be their God. God wants to be known. He wants to have a relationship with people. We could go on and talk about more attributes and characteristics about who God is. But second, now, um, let's take a look at our own heart. And I'm just going to ask you a bunch of questions here. 
So we've listened to the story. How much of Pharaoh is inside of you? Are we stubborn? Are you unclear about the mission of God? Are you at the center of trying to decide what is good and evil? Do you truly believe that God will someday make the whole entire cosmos right again? Do you really believe that God is powerful? Or is it like, eh, sometimes he's not, he's not all that powerful. I don't, I don't truly believe that 100%. Or do you believe it, that God is powerful? Do you know that God is patient? Do you think God is too patient? Not patient enough. Do you know God? Do you know the living God through God's Son, Jesus Christ, that to know the way, the truth, and the life, to know the one that gives you every breath, the breath that you are breathing right now, that comes from God. And you can know him. And you can know him personally. And you can know him through Jesus Christ. Do you know that deliverance and redemption, it comes with a price? That God provides a way out of Egypt. Do you know that at the heart of the redemption story... In this whole big story of the Bible, this long story of redemption, do you know at the heart of the redemption story is the gospel? And at the heart of the gospel is a cross where Jesus takes on the power of evil, sin, and death. Where Jesus ultimately confronts the wicked misrepresentations of Pharaoh, Babylon, Rome, and so on. Jesus takes that on and he wins. And so, how is your heart this morning? This past week, this past summer, has it been down? Has it been blue? Has it been up? Has it felt sick? Spiritually, where are you at this morning? How about our church? Can we receive the warning, hey, we want to look like Christ, not like Pharaoh? Can we continually check ourselves? How hard or soft is your heart right now? God wants to be known. We're invited into a relationship. We're invited into the life of God. And he does amazing things in our life. But you know what? Sometimes we miss it. God's doing great things. God is providing for us. And sometimes we're just... We're just not seeing it. Our heart is hard. You know, we, we still face that struggle of, of our hearts becoming petrified. In fact, you know, later on in Israel's life, as we continue to read through the Old Testament, guess what? Israel starts to look more like Pharaoh. And that gets them in trouble. And so the, the, the plague stories, they show us how it can be really hard to, to listen. It can be really hard to, to bring things into the, the light. That people prefer to stay in darkness no matter how bright the light is. No matter how big God is showing up. Sometimes we miss it. We take it for granted. For example, there's another story. It's in the New Testament. 
On Good Friday, a firstborn hung on a cross in darkness. In that dark afternoon, there was a criminal on one side of Jesus, also crucified. He was hurling insults at Jesus. You know, it's not supposed to be this way. He doesn't need Pharaoh to ruin his life. This man's sin and life choices, etc. This man has done a pretty good job at ruining his life. And now he's on the cross. Taken on, according to Rome, his punishment for his crime. Here is Jesus, the sinless one, fighting for humanity. God is opening up his veins for this man. He is giving his life for this man. And this man doesn't see it. On the other side of Jesus is another man being crucified. And he pushes back. He says, we are punished justly for we're getting what we deserve. This man has done nothing wrong. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And so thankfully, the darkness of Good Friday and the violence of that story and the just the, the horrendous nature of crucifixion, like one of the worst things humanity has ever invented. This is like so bad for humanity, so dark, not dark enough to overcome the light of Jesus. And that man sees it. And so church, uh, this is kind of like a, a part one of a part two here, because like, like we have to continue the Moses story next week, Lord, uh, Lord willing, the story of redemption, the story of Passover. We got to continue to, to check out this story. Please come back next week. It's so important. God is on a mission of setting people free. But, you know, um, might as well use it as a sermon illustration. I lost my ring. I lost a treasured possession. And I'm aware of how powerless I am. I am so powerless to confront my problem. God has a treasured possession too. And it's all of you. It's you. It's your family. It's your kids. It's our town. It's the tribes and nations of this world. And we're all wrapped up in this thing called sin. We all have a problem. (laughs) But God has the power to confront it. And he has on the cross. God can and has and will. He's going to go to great lengths to get his people back. And so God is on mission to be known in this world. And thankfully, we don't have plague upon plague upon plague upon us, disaster upon disaster upon disaster upon us. Sure, this world is hard and there's messed up stories in the news. What we do have Right now, this moment, this second, what we do have is this gentle invitation to come to Jesus. Bring things to the light. Listen to what he's saying to you. Respond to the gospel. Come to Jesus. I have overcome the world, Jesus says. I have judged things on the cross. You don't need to carry that. Come to Jesus. What do you need to bring into the light today? What trophies do you need to lay down? Has God been trying to get your attention? 
And now maybe it, it took you just have to read the plague stories and you're like, man, like, yeah, God, you've been you've been patient with me. You've been tapping on my shoulder. Now, this morning, August 20th, 2023 at Plymouth Meeting Church in the back lot. Yes, God, I'm responding to you. If that's you, amen. How is God trying to get your attention? And so let us look to the light of his son, the light of Jesus, the one who with outstretched arms on a cross said, I love you. Repent and believe the good news. Come to know God, know him and make him known, church. And in the words of the prophet Joel, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord, your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Let's pray.